Hello again, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could just pop over to the iTunes store and give it a rating and a review. It really means the world to me. Today's topic is something I'm really keen on, but it's something that's getting more and more difficult for businesses, and that is subscriptions. We're seeing subscriptions pop up everywhere at the moment, You know, from everything from uh, household items to self-care products, magazines, newspapers, music, videos, sports. So much can be now be covered by subscription. Um, and, and a lot of those are even the digital uh, kind of products. It's great uh, because it means there's loads of opportunity for recurring revenue, but the tough part is converting, engaging, and retaining those customers. With so much choice out there, as soon as a customer feels like they're no longer getting optimal value from your subscription, they can just hop over to someone else's. My guest today is Dan Burkor, founder and CEO of Nami ML, and he's joining me to tell you more about how subscriptions can work for your business. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and like what, why you're doing what you do at the moment? Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is I'm working on a company now called Nami. It's my fourth company. Um, I've had a kind of career that spanned uh, a bunch of kind of big industry trends, at least in my mind. Uh, sort of the advent of open source software, uh, the mobile, and kind of the the modern smartphone, uh, sort of cloud computing, uh, and and now what I'm doing, kind of packages those last two together, mobile, well, really all of them, quite frankly, open source, mobile, cloud computing, uh, and machine learning. Um, and so I am a serial entrepreneur. How do I, uh, you know, why do I do what I do? I think um, in large measure, it's just uh, about, uh, for me, uh, the entrepreneurial journey. It's sort of like a quest. And uh, uh, what that means for me is that you, you, you're not, never quite sure where it leads, but that's part of the adventure of it. And um, along the way, kind of regardless of whether it's a success or failure, uh, there's just so much to learn along the way. And, and often those lessons are, are not what you expect them to be. Um, but in retrospect, uh, they are incredibly valuable um, to what you do next. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I had a company of my own uh, a few years ago, a startup. And uh, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, experience a lot, a lot of lessons learned very quickly um but i'm glad i did it you know it didn't work out but um it's definitely had a big impact on on what i do now so we're kind of here to talk about subscriptions or, or just kind of subscriptions and recurring revenue and i think that's maybe the the key point to this who do you think can benefit from subscriptions or you know in the b2c world or are there any businesses you don't think it works for um and maybe how, how have things changed over the last few years? Yeah, so just to provide just a tiny little bit of context. So um, I, I'm uh, been looking at, so in the kind of current company, NAMI, um, we, we started the company in part because uh, my co-founder and I uh, were um, at, at Oracle inside of a group called the Oracle Marketing Cloud uh, because our last company, which was in the mobile space, um, was acquired by Oracle. Um, and we, so we spent a few years there and, and just saw some of the trends that were happening and, and, so, you know, started to see, especially from some of these mobile first experiences starting to, to migrate towards subscriptions. Um, and, and so we, when we decided to leave and start something new, um, that was a trend that we, that we were, were focused on, um, in part because inside of a big marketing system, we realized, hey, man, you know, some of these marketing tools don't really focus on 
recurring revenue or subscriptions. Uh, they are kind of geared, if you will, towards uh, e-commerce uh, or kind of one-time purchases. So what if uh, there's an opportunity here to, to help this kind of emerging category? And quite frankly, subscriptions have been around for a long, long time. I mean, the, the newspaper is a subscription, right? Um, if you rent, rent an apartment or, or, or uh, have a mortgage, I mean, that, that in some ways is a subscription. So it's not to say that it's entirely new, but with the consume, all these some consumer applications that we can now have at our fingertips on on either our phone or our smart TV or whatever the device is, um, there's just more of them. And so the, the thing is, uh, I think kind of almost anything can be a subscription as long as it has just enough kind of meat on, on the bone. So if, if something's really, really basic, um, even charging a very small price point, um, it, that that starts to be one of those things where consumers kind of take a look and say, well, that's like, if I just need a simple utility that's like a timer, why do I need to pay a subscription for that? So there, there are products out there that, especially on the mobile app stores, um, that are trying to be a subscription, but probably uh, shouldn't be. They should probably be, be a one-time per purchase or or even just a free free app monetizing some other way. Um, but that, that, that isn't to say that subscriptions can't be uh, offered to both a really niche audience. So as an example, there's a piece of, so there's actually a bunch of pieces of software on the app store that are specialty software for pilots. And some of these are uh, paid downloads and they're quite expensive, hundreds of dollars to download it you know, one time. And some of them are subscription. And it sort of makes a lot of sense that um, that both that would be pretty expensive, either as the one-time purchase or on a recurring subscription base, because it's a kind of very niche specialized product for a very um, skilled audience. Um, it, it, similarly, there's other types of subscriptions that are appealing to more of a broad audience. So for example, on the App Store, there's a lot of applications that are, are all about you know, modifying, modifying your photos or creating, you know, camera filters and things like this. And while they may seem sort of narrow in, in focus, um, but the reach is huge because, you know, most people, I mean, not everybody, um, but a lot of people uh, tend to share photo type content on one or more social networks, or even if you're just sharing it within your family on your kind of cloud photo app. Um, most of us are consume or creating more photos than we've ever created before. Uh, so it, it makes sense that something like that would have both broad appeal and, um, and, and, and use the power of these devices in a way that, okay, I could see having a, a little subscription around kind of the best app for uh, making my photos look great. And then there's other things in the more traditional software space, things like Photoshop or the Adobe Creative Suite, uh, or even things like the Microsoft Office Suite that I remember years ago, I mean, people would pirate that software because you need you wanted Photoshop so you could learn creative skills or you needed Excel, um, but maybe you couldn't afford it because you were a student or, um, or, 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 just getting starting out with a new business and you didn't have any capital. So the fact that these things are now subscription-based uh, as an option really make them way more accessible to, to people that might um, 
want access to, to that. So I think, for example, in the creative space where things like Photoshop, other tools, um, film production tools and so on, the, the fact that those are subscriptions, um, I just think means that we're going to see this kind of explosion of just more and more creative people um, that, that have built skills using those tools. It kind of works. It works for those products where people need it for long term. People probably want it for long term, but it could be quite expensive. Um, but they're probably going to use it on a monthly basis. So it just makes sense to allow people to just pay for it on a monthly basis. Whereas yeah, I suppose, yeah, in the case of like, a, I think you mentioned a timer or something, you're, you're comparing a subscription product to maybe just paying £20 or $20 to just buy a product that does the job and that's it. So I think you, you, you know, you're less likely to subscribe to something that's going to be really low cost because you can really see how the, uh, the, maybe the subscription is going to cost you a lot in the long term. Whereas something like Photoshop, I can't remember what the, what the do you remember what a license cost? Probably a couple. Well, I know the whole creative suite, they used to package it in different flavors. One was more for kind of the photo editing. And then the other package was for more for people doing uh, vector kind of like illustrator centric or I'm, I'm sorry, page layout. So like InDesign was the the driver of the, the two packages. Cause I remember in the Apple stores, they used to carry the kind of these jumbo uh, physical pieces of software selling those two variants. And the same was true for Final Cut Pro and the, the all of that. But I think they were in the multiple thousands of US dollars for, and, and that was not for the entire suite. Now a subscription to, to Adobe Creative Cloud gives you basically anything that you want. And they've got lots more tools now. Um, but in those days it was like, maybe you were getting three of the things. So maybe you're getting Photoshop, Illustrator and, and you know, one more thing. And then that was a few thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I haven't used it for quite a while, but I think I was paying maybe nine ninety nine a month um, for, for creative, creative cloud, isn't it? Um, yeah. which, which is nothing. So even for me, when I was doing just a little bit of design work here and there, it was actually when I had my startup, um, it just made sense. I didn't want to, we couldn't afford to pay someone, but it made sense to pay, yeah, I think like nine ninety nine or something every month to be able to to do the design we needed. So that makes so much more sense. And then also, I suppose from a business point of view, they can either sell uh, licenses for several hundred or maybe a thousand or so dollars to that one professional, or they can get several hundred people in at nine ninety nine a month who are just more casual users and want to try it out. And also people, maybe well, maybe people who want to get to that professional level, but aren't there yet, but still want access to the tech and the, the software that lets them do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. But then there's a, also one more benefit for a company like Adobe or, or Oracle or one of these larger companies. But this benefit extends to anybody offering subscriptions, which is it's more predictable revenue. You know, if you used to, in the old days, sell a piece of packaged software on the shelf, um, in my first company, we, we would literally burn burn dvd or burn cds um with a, a cd house that would create the cds we'd um create the packaging the cd would go in the package it would get distributed to a distributor end up on the shelves in a software store and you know we we hope this sold well but we didn't really know and um and especially with software titles in those days you, your, your your sales would be kind of 
quite high maybe initially and then they tail off and so you really didn't have this predictable revenue stream and it was so based upon um when the new software would ship so then you were there was a lot of pressure to sort of say okay well we shipped 1.0 how quickly can we ship 1.2 so we get a little juice in sales um with with a, a more predictable revenue stream in 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 subscription um a, you're motivated to just sort of keep things updated as you're ready to release new things, which is great for the consumer too. Um, but you also know what your business is. And yeah, some people cancel and some people come in, but but all of that can be measured. Um, you know what your what your month over month churn rate is going to be. And so it's it's way more predictable as a business. Yeah, probably not great to base a whole business model off this, but you know, you look at uh, gyms for example. Like how many people pay for a gym subscription and, and barely ever go, but they just leave it running because there's always the idea that they will go one day, or or maybe not, and maybe just maybe they just acknowledge the fact that they're they're wasting the money. But I guess with with some subscriptions, people might think, you know, I, I guess with me and Netflix, I've, I've I barely use Netflix this year probably, and so I've ended up cancelling. But it could very easily have just sat there, costing me nine ninety nine a month or something. In fact, actually, it was a price rise that made me drop it finally. But um, I, I could have probably just left that there for a year, and I wouldn't really know if I was getting value from it. I'd probably say to myself, "I I, I watch something every now and again. That's fine." But I would just leave it going. So uh, I think with other businesses, they they probably do have a lot of people who just forget about the subscription and leave it running for a bit. Um, and then also, I guess, on the on the flip side of that, there are products which you know you will want to buy on a monthly basis. But if you buy it once uh, from, from a business, when you're done with it, you then have to go and firstly redo that purchase um, like from scratch. But also you kind of have to remember to go back to the business that you bought it from in the first place for that business to get that recurring revenue. So a subscription just, you know, where it makes sense, the subscri subscription works because neither side really has to do much thinking about it. You know, you're going to get that product every month. The business knows it's going to sell you the product every month. And in, yeah. theory, in theory, it should just keep going forever. But that, that, that gym example, you know, the, that breakage model um, that a lot of physical gyms have been built around uh, it, you know, it, it also, I, I remember I had a gym membership um, uh, a few years back um, where I, I, I re our office moved. And so I had the gym near the office and then the office location moved. And so that gym was no longer convenient for me. So I go to cancel the membership and I remember it was a real hassle. They like really put me through the ringer in order to cancel that. And that's a mistake. That's a, that's a huge mistake, especially in this world where there's way more competition in just any category that one wants to operate. There's not just one gym, but lots of gyms. And so I, I think a best practice is to actually make it really easy to cancel. And because if you do that, you, know, you never know when that user might want to come back into your experience. So yeah, you've canceled Netflix for now, but maybe they drop the new content uh, in six months from now that you want to watch. And then you come back in and then you see, oh, there's all this st other stuff that, I, that, that I've missed out on in the last six months. So that you, that, that you, if they make it easy for you to cancel, then, you, then it'll be just as easy for you to hopefully uh, give them another chance when it's right for you.
Um, and I think most subscription businesses sh should operate that way. Some certainly do not. Um, and that's a recipe for, well, once I cancel, I'm never coming back because yeah. I, re I remember how painful they made it for me. Yeah, I, I had the same thing with a gym once. I had a gym in central London I because it was near a company and we got a company discount. I then left the company and, and moved. Uh, actually, it was really, really far. It was really far out of London. Um, but they wanted me to prove that my home address, I think, was far away enough to warrant cancelling the, the contract because it they, they were saying, like, the argument is because you've moved city or something, you there's absolutely no way you can use the gym and therefore they will cancel it. But because I've just moved job, that might not necessarily be enough for them to to agree to cancel it, which, yeah, you're right, it's just a... It's a really bad way of doing it because it meant that there was no way I was ever going to go back and no way I was going to recommend it. You know, it was a really nice gym. But once you have that experience, you're never going to recommend it to a friend. That's right. Actually, on the, the Netflix, it's it, yeah, very possible. They will send me an email and say, uh, we've just released this series we think you'll be interested in, which they should be able to do because they obviously collect all the data on what I want, what I watch. I've had several emails now asking me to come back or try it again. No discounts, which I kind of like. You know, they don't they don't give me another free month or six months half price or anything like that. But there's nothing in the content which has remotely come close to interesting me. And I don't just mean the contents on Netflix, I mean the content in the emails. None of the emails have have done anything to to prompt me. I mean, one one I got was uh it was something like you might like this TV show. And it was like series two or three of a show about Formula One. I have never watched that show. So I haven't watched the first season. And I, ha I don't believe I've ever watched anything related. So it was a really weird one to highlight in an email. But, um, but, but I mean, back to the point. Yeah, you're right. At some point, they'll, they will probably put an email in front of me with a TV show or a movie that I go, oh, yeah, I do want to watch that, actually. So I might subscribe. And, and they're, they're one of the more sophisticated companies offering a subscription. So you would think that uh, they would ha they would have a lot of capabilities at their disposal to to try different things from a marketing strategy perspective. Um, but they're an outlier because most companies that want to offer a subscription um, and are getting going with it, yeah, the, the they 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 are so focused on kind of the subscription billing piece and right just get, getting that kind of plumbing in place that they're not thinking about like okay well once we like get that in place what do we what capabilities do we need to think about next and so you you bring up a perfect example uh, around well if if you're somebody that's canceled and you've not been back in Netflix in six months but. Prior to your cancellation, you were, you know, used it this much and this was kind of your pattern. Um, they can figure out, oh, you know, what's it worth to us to try to get Will back in Netflix and offer you an introductory pricing offer, kind of a, a, a win back um, pricing offer. These win back type campaigns, I mean, we've seen them uh, in the e-commerce world. I mean, that is what we did at the Oracle Marketing Cloud kind of fundamentally is that a lot of... Uh, Art abandonment style campaign. So you, you go into a shopping cart online to buy something, you put it in your cart, you close your browser window, an email comes in that says, hey, do you want to complete your, your purchase? Sometimes there's a discount attached to it or free shipping or whatnot. I mean, that drove so much of the email volume within that, that marketing system. But 
people aren't doing that yet in subscriptions. There's not a sophistication in subscription marketing. And I think it's partially because uh, a lot of the fight is around just technical in, in implementation right now. And so we haven't gotten to the stage of the market where there's a lot of the kind of um, rules of the trade, so to speak, that we have in other marketing domains. I don't know. Uh, I think my experience has been it's quite easy. You know, I've I've worked in a few subscription models, uh, subscription companies before, and you know, we we know when people cancel. I, I guess it does depend on the setup. Maybe we just had got everything set up from the from the start because it was a subscription first model. There was no e-commerce kind of element, like you know, no single purchase element to it. But yeah, I mean. It, I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't recall exactly because this was probably five years ago since I worked there. But yeah, we could. Um, we knew who had cancelled. We had their data still, so we could say, "Here is relevant content to you." Um, was that a was that a a, a company that offered uh, kind of a web property or kind of web plus different uh, app main, ecosystems? Mainly app focused. Um, there yeah. there was a web version towards when I left. Um, but it was mainly app focused. I mean, it, it was, uh, well, I mean, we always called it Netflix for magazines. So to, mm-hmm. to, to describe it to people. So it's, it's basically the same model as Netflix really. Um, yeah. It's, uh, but I suppose maybe, maybe when a company is built around subscriptions, it's, it's all there a, a lot more easily. Whereas if you introduce a subscription or if you try to change the subscription, maybe that's where some of the, the problems come around it. Well, it's also when it, it's how many different avenues people can purchase the subscription. So if you can both buy it on the App Store and in Google Play and on a Roku and on the web, so suddenly the question of did they cancel, to find that answer, there's four different systems. And so where companies struggle is in they're trying to band-aid and kind of patchwork together the data coming from Roku and the data coming from Apple and so on. So they can kind of have one singular view into their customer. That's where we see some, some problem and challenges. It's less about, you know, a, a more kind of straightforward case where, you know, you have a predominant channel. I use channel just to say, you know, the point of purchase, you know, be it the web or something else or just on the app store. Um, or I don't mean just, but like, you know, the majority of your, your, of your, of your users in one place, um, that's a little bit more of a straightforward case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so if, what would be some key tips for, for a business looking at implementing subscriptions? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Um, there are so, uh, well, I don't say so many, um, it depends on the category, but there are an awful lot of, folks that we see uh, that don't offer the free trial or they don't offer the introductory pricing. And, uh, you know, that, that my, my view of these things is that there's so much out there that one could spend their dollar on that um, it's asking a lot of somebody to kind of start to pay you without giving them kind of a taste. And so whether the, that taste is through a free trial or it's through, through a kind of compelling kind of, premium model, or you kind of meter some about amount of success for a period while they kind of kick the tires. Um, the, the companies that do that really well, uh, do that really well. And the companies that don't do that, that at all, um, see that their conversion rates are just anemic because, um, you know, they're, they're just asking too much of the user that just doesn't know why they should give them a chance. 
Yeah, I think obviously it depends on the product a bit, but I think there are a lot of cases where um, these discounts and things have just become like the default that everyone just does and therefore customers are are used to it and expect it. I mean, if you take the example of someone like HelloFresh, right? HelloFresh, you, you buy just because you're subscribing. I don't really see why there is the need for the big discount. You know, I know a lot, you know, you compare it to a fashion site, you know, you might get a discount for signing up to a newsletter, but also you might just go in and buy the product that you want. So why wouldn't someone go to HelloFresh, look at the recipes, put their box together and buy it to try it out? Right? Why, why yeah. does it need to be? Because uh, you have to, I know you set up a subscription, but you can obviously cancel it straight away. So why does there need to be that discount to get people in? You know, I, I get it a free trial on a digital product like Netflix or, or Readly where I worked because the cost of giving you that free trial isn't, isn't very much. But for, for brands which have physical products to send out and there is a cost to them, you know, if you're doing the right job with your marketing and persuading someone that they should be using your products and buying your products, that should, in theory, be enough. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I do think, though, it's interesting, the HelloFresh example, because if you look at Blue Apron and that category and other players, I mean, some of those folks are spending a huge amount of money from a customer acquisition perspective on things like podcast advertising um, to try to get people to kind of, you know, take that free box uh, to give it a try. And, you know, I think that that's where, I mean, at one point, I don't remember the data in front of me, but uh, the the economics of that of some of those businesses were not as good as as one might expect, um, and I think it's because you're right. They they may be uh, they may have like juiced their growth on this free stuff that was actually quite expensive to fulfill. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was probably paying let's say it was three three pound fifty a meal or something, maybe four pounds. I mean, you could you could buy it cheaper if you did it yourself, but obviously there's the convenience and there's the extra stuff. But then they've got all the costs of packaging and fulfilling it, so you, the margin on it can't be great. Um, but and I have a feeling HelloFresh struggled with this um, over here in the early days. I think they they became known for having a bit of a problem with churn because they they just really struggled to keep people. And if you cancelled, they just hammered you with discounts. And so that yeah. kind of encouraged people to then just cancel. And it's uh, it's pretty much the only reason I've ever gone back to them. I get an offer for 50% off for my next two boxes or something. So I'll order those two boxes and then cancel again. Because they've just built, for me, they haven't, they don't really go on about the value of the product and why it should be amazing for me. They literally just say, here's, here's a promotion off your next box. So my my behavior now is just I don't need to pay full price for them because I know they'll just give me a discount. And if, if that happens on a bigger scale, they're, they're going to struggle. Yeah, somehow with those products, with that category, I feel like there's a, also a product problem a little bit, which is that we just we like variety in life. And, and yes, they have variety in their kind of programming, so to speak, on the, on the, the menus. I haven't used that particular brand, but I've used other ones here in the States. And, um, you know, I just feel like people want, uh, and maybe, maybe in the pandemic realm, you know, those businesses have been different, but, um, you know, it's like, you, you kind of like 
back to the starting point um, about my entrepreneurial journey and kind of it being about this kind of quest where you're not sure what's next. You know, the surprise and delight sometimes I, I feel like is, is missing with those products. Um, it starts to feel kind of repetitive in a way where then you're just seeking something new or different. And that's maybe why you see the churn and yeah, you come back when you get busy and where the, the value proposition of kind of time savings kind of resonates again. But as soon as, you know, maybe you have some space to go to the market by yourself or, or you know, you go under some restaurants a little bit more, whatever the case may be in life, um, you kind of dip in and out of that product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, I quite like to cook and I like the, the new stuff. I like trying new things. And yeah, I, th- I think I found that I just wasn't getting enough interesting recipes being suggested um, in order to keep me. I also had some problems with the the macro kind of split that they were doing. Uh, I found them quite carb heavy, which is all right. It's fine. Who, who doesn't like carbs? But when, when, when you basically, you feel like your meal is 80% pasta or something, yeah, question the value of, of the products. I know we covered a few, but what sort of common mistakes do brands make when yeah trying to like set up and sell these subscriptions so i know you, we, you kind of mentioned problems with people who cancel and then trying to work out how to how to retain them and stuff but what about when actually sitting down and thinking right how do we get a subscription out of this maybe if it's not a not a not a netflix style product you know not a gym um maybe like in, in e-commerce space or something maybe you've you've got products that could be subscribe to could be on repeat purchase but what are some of the mistakes brands make when when implementing this well i think one of them is just figuring out what what is the right what is the right packaging it's like sort of like what's the right feature set that's actually more of a digital use case and in 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 physical commerce um I think it's just a, a met, but but it's kind of the same there too i mean we talked to touch about it a little bit with the with the food uh, example of where, you know, if they, if they did something where um, it wasn't just the food that they were sending, but they were kind of like pushing your skills forward, um, maybe through a digital companion, as an example, um, that would be a little more compelling opportunity, it seems like, than just like being a distribution vehicle for the physical, the physical product. So, um you know, I, so, so what, what is the, the mistake, the common misconception or, or I'm sorry, mistake uh, that I see um, part of it is just looking at what others are doing, whether it's in the, the realm of the digital um, or, or in a e-commerce situation and just copying it. So that comes down to, you know, price points that comes down to, you know, what, if you get anything, what the, the upfront offer might be. There's just a lot of kind of copycatting out there. And that may be okay because on the one hand, you know, if consumers are sort of used to something from some other example and then they come to your brand, you know, maybe maybe it's familiar on some level. But on the other hand, um, as with all things, I feel like if you are making a decision to do something without kind of understanding the underlying reasons why kind of the original party did it, well, you don't have all that knowledge hierarchy that you're building that decision from you're just copying something without understanding why pricing i think especially around pricing that's where it can be a kind of a a mistake yeah it's a kind of classic case of just seeing what your competitors are doing assuming it works 
firstly, it's an assumption that it's actually working and that the yes. competitor knows what they're doing, which occasionally they don't. <laughs> um, but then just, yeah, blindly copying them without considering the differences that, that occur in your business. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah, subscribe and save. Um, that's one that bothers me a little bit, kind of for the same reasons I mentioned earlier. I, I don't feel like there's any reason to offer a discount with subscribe and save, really. Um, if the person wants the product and you've convinced them to buy it, the subscription should make it more convenient for them. And and that yes. should really be that should be enough of a benefit to to just put it on subscription, really. Um, yeah. Well, isn't the problem? Isn't part of the problem there is that you know we have uh, in the explosion of digital and sort of the internet. Um, there's been just so much emphasis on acquisition and growth metrics yep. uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. And so the top of the funnel is what people are trained to focus on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with that. And then discounting comes into that. It's an easy way to improve your conversion rates, really. What was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, yeah, about uh, when, when you mentioned about HelloFresh, actually, the kind of digital companion. So actually kind of, yeah, an, an idea would be to say, well, Actually, we don't sell like uh, meal plans anymore or like meal kits. We sell a like a, a food coaching platform, which you get uh, you get weekly recipes with in order to try out along with the the coaching. coaching and maybe it comes with ingredients. You know, maybe they still yeah. physically move the product to your to your home. Yeah. Uh, and and that's cool, but you know that's that's exactly right. I mean, I like to cook too, but it's like I also like to try new things, not both from a flavors perspective, but like you know sharpen my skills. Like I would love to learn how to, uh, you know, make a puff pastry, but like you know that's a big leap from I've made cookies before, um, and now I want to make puff pastry. You no, know, it's like you, there's there's fundamental knowledge that probably I need to develop from cookies to puff pastry that. Um, that, that, that they could help me in pursuit of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see any kind of trends coming up in the way businesses use subscriptions or maybe how kind of consumers are either consumers use them or kind of their willingness to keep subscribing to things? I do think there is an element of fatigue, although I think it's overplayed. I think it, it's a it's a great kind of clickbait style headline about subscription fatigue. Yeah, especially in a pandemic where you know people are kind of and there's all these streaming services launching. So I think that's made that kind of seem more acute than than it is, especially because especially. Um, um, most of these new new generation subscription products tend to be easy to cancel, unlike some of the ones that we've talked about um, earlier. So um, if you can cancel easily, like that's how you solve fatigue. You just, you know, manage it and you go in and say, oh, you know, I don't need that anymore. So I'll get rid of that. And uh, maybe you do, don't do it as often as, as you should, but, you know, it's easy when you make the decision that you need to kind of call all the list. Um, but so, so people talk about that. I think, and then the other thing is in the kind of pandemic world, um, there has been new things pop up around, you know, taking things like yoga 
or gym memberships that were in person and the kind of moving them virtual. And those are sort of subscriptions that aren't necessarily all about the Pelotons or the master classes of the world, but, but something that's more kind of hyper-local. So like these hyper-local subscriptions. Um, and there are some platforms that are, are doing, doing some things around that. Um, whether that is sticky uh, over time, I think we'll have to see, I think as people kind of get back to a physical environment where they're able to socialize with other humans, um, maybe there'll be less of a desire for some of that. But, but I think actually, um, I think we'll see more around, you know, uh, thing, things like uh, on, on, on the basis of sort of like talent, if that makes sense. So specialized subscriptions for, uh, for talent. I mean, I still struggle um, to find kind of reliable experts in field like design or SEO. And once I find somebody good, it's hard to like kind of keep them around for, well, well, maybe, maybe they're not a staff person. Maybe I can't justify having a staff person. So I need them for a project. They're willing to help me out on for, for a project if it's large enough, but then like there's those occasional needs. And well, what if I just need somebody to kind of, you know, help occasionally once a month, it's not time, time sensitive. So I think, you know, some of these popular freelancing platforms like Upwork and, and things like um, and, uh, Fiverr and some of these things, um, you know, could start to go to a model where uh, you can get access to kind of a, a much more high end type of talent where you're willing to sort of basically pay a retainer to make sure they're sort of available within some sort of boundaries, whether it's, you know, this is the turnaround that they're willing to agree to on certain type of project. Um, and then essentially, you know, if you don't use it, you don't use it. So it's back to the gym example. But if I need it, if I need like three icons banged out, well, they've been getting this little monthly subscription. And so it helps me kind of create a connection with a specialized talent that um, that I don't want to kind of lose just because I don't always have a big project for somebody to work on. Um, so I, I think that there's probably a world where, where kind of the freelance economy can benefit. I, I used to run an agency and one of the challenges you have in an agency is that it's always project to project. And that's great because the project's paid well, but it's not great because um, between projects, sometimes it was a lean time. So what if you could marry project work that is lucrative with sort of a, that again, that predictable revenue stream um, through some of these kind of service engagements. Yeah, I've seen, I have seen a quite a, quite a few businesses pop up, um, like not, not necessarily recently, but over time, which are, you know, unlimited design for X amount per month or, or, or at least a set number of assets. And those assets tend to be, you know, digital ads, um, social media posts and things like that. So those obviously help help those people get that reliable, you know, recurring revenue in. But they also know how much time it will cost them if they have to fulfill it all. Um, so that works quite well. I think it'd be interesting to see with, with things like a lot of these fitness subscriptions that popped up. You know, I know one there was a yoga platform um, that I got introduced to about a year ago. Well, pretty much a year ago now when when lockdown kind of first happened and she had been struggling a bit you know conversion rates weren't great um there were a few issues with the platform and, and the website and stuff but when lockdown happened her business exploded you know it went fantastically but 
what I'd be interested to find out was is when we kind of moved out of lockdown back in kind of June, July last year, or when we first moved out of lockdown, I wonder how many people cancelled because they were thinking, well, I'm going to spend all my time outside now. Not only is it summer, but lockdown's over, so I'm going to get out and about. But now, given that we've gone through, we're now in our third lockdown, we're hopefully about to come out of it. Um, I wonder how many people are on these subscriptions and might cancel or pause it once we're out of lockdown for a little bit. But because they know they're going to work from home for a long time, they probably will keep these subscriptions up. But, and that's where that flexibility comes in. You give people the option to easily cancel and resubscribe or pause their accounts. That will work really well for those people who say, it's summer, I want to be spending as much time as I can out of the house because I've been locked up for three months. Um, they will want to pause it for maybe a month, maybe two, and then they'll probably come back, assuming they've been using it. Yeah, it, exactly. And and that's that should be totally cool. Um, and, and, you know, what's one interesting thing in the, the digital realm, we talked about the, the challenge of implementing um, a, a little while ago is that, you know, for example, in the Google Android e- ecosystem, if you're making a, a mobile app, um, pause is functionality that's supported in that ecosystem, but it's not supported in the Apple ecosystem. So you have to grapple with those differences and, and you may, you, and, 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 but most, if most of your users are on Apple, let's say, um, you know, do you really want to develop, like spend the engineering resources to, to support that pause use case? Well, you probably should because it's useful for the reasons that you've talked about, but also because probably Apple will do that at some point too, because if this tends to happen, especially in that market where, you know, Google might lead on something and then kind of Apple catches up or Apple might lead on something and Google catches up. Um, but yeah, pausing is great functionality. And because that's the thing is in a way a subscription is an articulation of a habit or a routine and so in lockdown we've got these new routines well we come out of lockdown our routines change but they can also change again and it's that flexibility to kind of come and go that um you know unfortunately that creates some some issues around the 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 reliability or the predictability of the revenue in the long haul um but you know, I, th- I think if that's the thing, that's the question is, is the product compelling period or is the product compelling only in a lockdown environment? Um, yeah. And that's what remains to be seen for some of these products. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it, it does sound more and more like working from home is going to be a, a huge thing going forwards. Um, you know, it's it's something that people have wanted for a long time, but it's taken a pandemic to actually make that shift I think um, and I think that will stay that's something that will stay so a lot of these virtual uh, fitness things I, I think will continue to do very well now because people are at home and so they're more willing to use them do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing so a couple of years ago no a number of years ago now um, the, the, the third company that we did was in the push notification space and, uh, and that's how we ended up at Oracle um, you know, we got to start in that space uh, right when push became a thing. And in the early days, some of the, the early folks doing work there um, were, were just doing broadcast. 
push notification. And so that would happen in sort of the world of especially breaking news. Um, but we, we had an interesting kind of journey as a company because we got our start um, actually working for professional sports leagues. And the thing about sports is that the, most people that follow sports aren't uh, uh, passionate about the sports or the, the league, if you will, uh, first. They're usually passionate about a team or a player first. And, and, and that's, and then kind of things build from there. So like, if I'm a fan of hockey, let's say, um, I might like the sport of hockey. I may, may follow the national hockey league, but, but I'm following it through the lens of my hometown team. And I'm kind of keeping my eye on the, the overall league, but really I'm watching my team. Right. Yep. So in push notification, pretty where we built our kind of reputation was we built um, the engine to do contextual push notification down to the individual. So, you know, any user of a sports app could go and say, well, you know, alert me when something happens with my favorite player, or my favorite team. And that seems like very, that, that use case doesn't seem foreign today, but it was in those early days. And so that gets to sort of one of my pet peeves, which is that I see so much marketing out there that's not contextual or so much really content oriented marketing. Like you mentioned the Netflix example where, you know, they're clearly generating these emails that are putting content in front of you. And my guess is it's not one size fits all, but for some reason they've put stuff in front of you that you're not reacting to. Um, um, so it's, it's, it's contextual, but maybe not contextual enough. Um, so I just think that's still with all the tools we have, uh, at our disposal, the fact that there's not more personalization um, um, to a deep level, uh, kind of not just in the email, but in the experience, not just in the email, but also in the, the advertising campaigns, right? Consistent con contextual marketing kind of at every touch point um, still feels like something that, that some, some groups struggle with. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I would say I'm, I'm not even bothered about it not being at that really deep level yet around every touch point. I just want there to be like some level of personalization. It's, it, I still find it surprising how many businesses will contact me with a, well, it's normally an email and it, it feels as though they've got no idea who I am. I'm literally yeah. just, I'm, I'm just someone on their list. Um, there'll be no reference to, I mean, you don't, you don't have to reference previous purchases I've made, but you know, there's no acknowledgement in that personalization, in that content of, of what my previous touch points have been. Um, you know, like in that Netflix example, I've probably watched some sports stuff on there, but not, not, a, I think this was, this seemed more like a documentary about Formula One. And I definitely haven't watched anything like that. So that was really strange. And I think a lot of people do pick up on, on Amazon a little bit. Um, they're probably not so bad anymore, but you know, there are jokes around, you know, you've, you've bought a toilet seat from Amazon, but for some reason, their emails will just push you toilet seats for ages. Um, and it was surprising that even that was still happening a couple of years ago, which is quite surprising for such a big business. But yeah, I think that's a really valid point. Um, Dan, it's been great. Really, uh, really interesting stuff. I just love talking about kind of subscriptions and general marketing. Um, if people want to get in touch, find out more, what's the best way they, of them contacting you? Sure. Uh, so two primary means. One is just for the company. We're at nami.ml. So N-A-M-I, kind of like tsunami.ml. Uh, 
Um, and then, uh, you know, probably just for me personally, I'm, I'm on all the social media, but uh, probably the best way is, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter uh, to get in touch with me. Um, my last name, Burkhoff, B-U-R-C-A-W, is probably the easiest and quickest way to find find me. That's one of the benefits of having kind of an unusual name is it's not too many of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much. Despite some people already jumping on the idea that subscription fatigue is setting in, I don't believe this is quite true. What's happening is that customers are abandoning subscriptions that don't really offer enough value for them, or they don't trust the business enough to give them the right to charge their card each month. If you can build on that trust, convince the customer that not only is your product right for them, but your business is as well, they'll jump on the convenience offered by your subscription. How do you do that? By following most of the principles set out in this podcast over the last year, really, you know, understand your customers, write great copy that convinces them to give you a trial, and then collect and use data to enhance customer experience as much as you can. If you've got any questions for Dan, feel free to head over to LinkedIn and connect with him, or you can tweet any subscription questions or feedback and requests about the podcast to at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got James Denker with me, and we're going to be talking about unified commerce and how to link everything together to really enhance the customer experience. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.